Welcome to the Good, the Bad and the Ugly Innovation Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk to people who walk the walk, solving real innovation problems and developing startups. They tell us the good, the bad and the ugly of their experiences. Today we talk to Russell McHugh, an experienced business development director. He talks about ARM, IoT and his current role with Digimondo. We end up discussing a very Irish sport, hurling. The podcast is sponsored by Netzer Digital Onboarding. We can be contacted at www.netzer.com. We provide digital onboarding and customer digital management solutions to a wide range of verticals, including mobile operators, MVNOs, eSIM providers, financial institutions and charities. Please feel free to contact us at www.netzer.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Good, the Bad and the Ugly podcast. And we're talking to Russell McHugh, who's based in California. He represents a specialist German IoT developer called Digimondo. So, Russell, welcome to the podcast and thanks for talking with us. But there's, there's a lot more to you than your current role. You've, you've got deep, extensive experience in technology, I, I happen to know. Yeah, thanks very much, Pat. I'm delighted to 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 join uh, to join your podcast, and uh, uh, great to great to see you doing this. So yeah, um, today I'm I'm representing a company called Digi Mondo out of Germany, uh, a very interesting uh, kind of very aggressive developer, if I can put that. You know, uh, my interest in talking to you is obviously your idea around innovation and bringing innovation to technology, in particular the world of IoT. You know, you asked me about where where I started in this in this business, I started approximately twenty five years ago. I started. You, you don't have to admit that, uh, by the way. It's uh, that's voluntary <laughs> information. Well, <laughs> I started before that, but in terms of starting directly and are, are being involved uh, exclusively in sort of technology, it's been approximately twenty five years. And I started with this company in Hong Kong. Believe it or not, they had a very interesting technology that was doing text entry on the old style mobile phone. So these guys had some intellectual property around that. And one of the first languages that they were solving this problem for was Chinese. So um, back then I learned how to write Chinese oh, characters, okay. what we call a reduced keypad. Okay. And that came to um, sort, of, sort of that world of software licensing and software development. Um, we were one of the, I suppose, I've come to think of it, we were one of the early pioneers in developing a piece of software that you could license to multiple handset makers. And that was way back in the day when uh, you know when that whole world of software licensing was starting out. And I, I suppose you could say the mobile phone industry, as we know it today, was just beginning to sort of really ramp up. So, so you have, you have a, lot, a lot of experience in international business development, both across Asia, Europe, and obviously the US as well. And yeah. And we were talking earlier and you were saying one of the interesting topics we might touch on a little bit is ARM and, and how ARM developed um, both in, in mobile and in IoT. Yeah, um, yeah, I should have actually mentioned that one of the first sort of licensees of our um, text entry product was with ARM in, in Cambridge. ARM, I think I'm going to say that they had been around for a few years at that, that time. It was still early in their and their cycle as well. But they had established themselves at that point as one of the better um, IPR only companies. So it was a 
you know, pretty interesting business model what they had. They were developing intellectual property and were looking to license that to other players. And they were, they were sort of the leading um, license providers of the handset manufacturers. And the, our interest in working with them was that they were they were looking for companies like us that they could support to bring into that ecosystem. So getting an acknowledgement from ARM that we had good technology, that was extremely helpful to us as we sort of tried to penetrate in places, in, particularly in Japan and in Korea. And I remember visiting the ARM KK offices in Japan several times, and they brought us in as a partner to their handset. Um, mm. to their handset. Well, it's, it's, that, it's obviously a huge success story. So, I mean, what, why, why do you think ARM was so successful? And where do you see it vis-a-vis -vis your business and where are you going? Well, I mean, just to talk about ARM for a second, independent of what we are doing today, and yeah. just, just to spend a little more time on, on ARM. I mean, they had they, they set out their stall from the, from the get-go that they were going to be fabulous, that it was going to be a licensing model. Um, in, in reality, that's a pretty tough kind of way to go about building a business, but they were very successful in that they were able to get multiple players to buy into their their um, their philosophy with respect to sort of growing that uh, technology ecosystem. And they did it very, very well. I mean, they have everybody from Apple to Qualcomm to all the major chipset manufacturers, I think even including Intel as a licensee of theirs. So, you know, bringing us to the present day to just jump up to where ARM is doing, where they're positioned today, you know, a few years ago, I'm going to say approximately three, four years ago, they were acquired by SoftBank in Japan. They were absorbed into that sort of, you know, conglomerate of technology companies. I think SoftBank has, has done a fantastic job with them. They've invested more, they've grown the ARM brand, they've grown, um, they've grown ARM's business quite well. Mm -hmm. and now we're at a point where you know there's, there's a lot of discussion out there about whether ARM is gonna be spun off, uh, or should they go IPO? Um, there's question marks about whether you know, they're gonna be acquired by another chipset um, maker. NVIDIA has entered the, uh, has entered the discussions. Um, they've publicly said that they're in discussions with NVIDIA. So that's very, very interesting for me as a kind of an observer of that whole space, what is actually going to happen to them. I mean, they're, a, they're a very, very important player still in the sort of the, the semiconductor industry, in particular the smartphone industry. Okay, that's, that's great. And let, maybe talk a little bit about what you're doing today and, and where you're positioned. Yeah, so jumping on with me, uh, going back to the personal story again, about eight years ago, so um, actually... 14 years ago, I ended up moving to San Diego, and then uh, I had some time with Qualcomm. I was working with a company when I left the, the text entry company. I ended up working with a very interesting company in Cambridge and England called Trigenics. They were acquired by Qualcomm, and I got the opportunity to transfer over here to San Diego. And, you know, San Diego is a beautiful part of the world. You, at uh, that stage in my career, what could I say? Not, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> no, I refuse to, I just, I I refuse just, to accept that beautiful location. <laughs> yes. I, I don't like it. Qualcomm <laughs> so, uh, was definitely, uh, you, know, um, you know, a very, very strong player, a very, very solid player, and that's so I wanted to get some time with them. I ended up spending the best part of about seven and a half years with between Trigenics and Qualcomm. Um, and then for the past eight years or so, I've been involved with various companies supplying services in the world of IoT. And then ended up last year working, believe it or not, with one of from the Cambridge company who had become head of sales with uh, Digimondo out of Hamburg in Germany. So now I'm representing Digimondo here in the North American markets. And um, what do Digimondo do? What's, 
What's their uh, space in the in the IoT market? So Digimondo started about five and a half years ago as a project within E.ON, the big electric utility in Germany. Uh, we're probably all very familiar with it in Europe. Uh, we're probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, electric utility. They were looking at a connectivity. They had a connectivity problem for their for their meters, for smart meters, out in the countryside, out in these very difficult places to get to basements, for example, and they wanted to solve that problem. How do we put in a smart meter with the right radio technology that we can actually get these meter readings off? So Digimondo was sort of created within Dawn to solve the problem. And they solved it by selecting to work with this LoRa One technology. So LoRa One is long range, wide area network. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you need, so Typically, these wide area networks, you need sort of sensors, you need gateways, and you need some cloud software to actually let you gather the data from ultimately from the sensors, or in the case of EM, from the meters. So they went about building this network server piece, and uh, EM, with its deep pockets, with a lot of investment put into that. So we built a very, very solid product. And then uh, as time moved on, the decision was made to actually spin that out as a standalone company, which happened approximately three and a half years ago, back in the 2017 timeframe. Okay. So we've been a company um, in, the, in the German and European markets for the last three years. And the decision was made last year to look at international expansion. The first place to pick, believe it or not, was San Diego or North America here. So that's how I ended up with Digimon. Very good. Uh, what's the... Uh, where do you rate the American market in terms of IoT, in terms of maturity? Is it is it um, early, still early stage? Is it uh, mature, approaching maturity? What's your feeling about it? I, I think there's a. It's wide open. There's no question. Um, you know, so just within the world of IoT itself, you've got you, you've got a couple of sort of worlds of, in, in the IoT space. You've got regulated and you've got unregulated. And the regulated. If you think of electric utilities, water beaters, gas beaters, that kind of thing, you know, those markets are running in parallel between sort of what you have in Europe and uh, and and here in North America. So you have metering companies, dedicated sort of metering companies, and you have dedicated providers. Now in Europe, we tend to use these open technologies a lot more, the, the likes of Laura Wine. Here in North America, you have companies like iTron and others that have proprietary technology or radio technologies for actually data collection from this on these smart meters. But as, as markets, they're both running in parallel. So, so, so beyond that, in the unregulated market then, in the, in the world of sort of the industrial and in island gas and in private enterprises and in college campuses and industrial campuses and all that kind of thing, that world is sort of wide open. Okay. Uh, you know, in, in fairness, the European market has been a little bit more advanced in adopting these various technologies than we have been here in North America. Uh, the LoRa standard is well established in Europe, so you know what I what I often sort of in terms of trying to track what we do at Digimondo, you know we, we kind of track from this world of metering, which is a kind of a static. If you can imagine that that's a static piece, the meter is stuck in the ground or it's stuck outside of your home. You add some radio technology to it, you collect the meter, and off it goes to the ultimately to the billing system of the local utility. So mm-hmm. that's a kind of a static world. Now, assets that are moving, then you've got asset tracking. That gets a little bit more convoluted and a little bit more complicated to actually apply sort of IoT technologies there. Okay. That's the, we're finding more and more projects in that space right now. And we're working in terms of, well, you know, what are we doing in that space? Or we're working to improve sort of the usability of these IoT systems 
with, particularly in the world of asset tracking. Um, now, asset location has been around for a long time. You know, in the early days of telemetry, that's been around since the 80s and is a well-established business and putting GPS readings and stuff like that on assets, on trucks, mm -hmm. and whole fleet management world. That's a well-established kind of IoT space by itself. But if you want to track assets that are on those trucks or assets that are on those fleets or whatever, that gets a little bit more convoluted. And that's the sort of stuff that we're finding sort of more and more projects in that space right now. How do you build me a better user interface that I can actually manage all of these? Like, where are my assets at a more granular level within a factory environment, for example, or within an industrial and is that is that the extra is that the secret sauce you bring to the solution? Is it the, does the Digimondo solution give a you know better reading of where the assets are? You know location is, is apart from the basic radio infrastructure and and uh, sensors. Yeah, so we we have got we have built up very very good experience and say an expertise in sort of this world of low power wide area. Um, networks, you know, you're building, bringing up a network. What does it mean to actually set up a, na a network in a factory environment? You've got to get these gateways, you've got to position them, you've got to locate them correctly and bring up that network. So that's that we have a, a good bit of experience and, and uh, I might say expertise in that. So that gives us a strength in it. These low power wide area networks tend to, the challenge with them is that they're not streaming data all the time. They're streaming data packets potentially however you want to read them, maybe once an hour, maybe once every few hours, or maybe once a day. So you've got less data to work with. So you can imagine your data streams are only coming in in bursts and, and uh, mm -hmm. now only everything over, over the period of the day. So then how do you extract value from that data and present it in a usable fashion, in a usable way? That's, that's where we're spending a lot of time right now. So, you, you know, we're hearing the emerging concept of this digital twin. So you create a factory environment or you create a smart building environment, and then you, you, you create that sort of, build a virtual version of that, if, you, if, you, if I can put it like that. We would put alarms in there, we put, we can track motion, you put motion sensors on your assets and you can track them and see them moving. This is the kind of thing that we are actually working hard on at the moment and solving. So now you're starting to solve some usability problems. You can really track where your um, where your assets are. For example, we're working with a very, very large automaker in Germany. They have factories and suppliers all over Europe, in fact, all over the world. Those components come in, and we're helping them to visualize that in a digital twin-type environment, and that obviously makes their, makes their life a lot easier, so they can, they can really sort of, you know, granularize the, you know, from, from a granular perspective, they can actually see where their assets are. Okay, well, that's fascinating. I'm, I mean, I can sort of see that you're bringing a, a sort of a scoping or a, a visualization level to the basic technology that, that brings a new value to your customers. Is that fair? That's, that's it, exactly. And you, so, so, so using, so the, the challenge with IoT is the usability of it. How do we, you know, the technology is beautiful. I mean, who doesn't want to talk about sensors and gateways and try to understand them? <laughs> radio technologies and, and then you get into the security side which you know and frankly I, I you retake standard security pieces but there are guys out there and i've worked with companies in the past and they have these security experts and it's fascinating listening to these characters so the technology itself is a, is a fascination but then the usability like i say and how do you extract that and build it into 
new processes, new work processes. That's that's equally fascinating. You know, we've talked a little bit before about you know the, the cost of making a, making an investment in this, and how do we get that return on investment? Mm-hmm. You, know, you can see with the world of IoT that there are going to be hardware costs, and there's going to be software investments that you're going to have to make to bring up that network. But then, how do you justify that? You justify it over time by, you know, potentially saving on on uh, saving on work work practices. I guess you can say. But making you know bringing a lot more efficiency to your to your system. An example of a project that we're working on right now is uh, tractors and trailers that are that are actually the driver comes along and he picks up the wrong trailer. Now, how can you solve that problem? You can imagine the sort of confusion, frustration, and cost that with something like that. You know, with with this LoRa uh, LoRa network technology that I'm describing here, you know, can we solve that problem in kind of a low cost way and in a meaningful way to the truck? Makes obvious sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Russell. Thanks for that uh, explanation. It's really a, a much more sophisticated market than I was aware of as a casual observer. So you you guys seem to have quite a strong control and and planning and visualization view of it, which I can see would make all the difference. Uh, can I just ask you? I happen to know that you're one of the few hurlers, probably uh, west of the Mississippi. And um, for our international listeners, hurling is an Irish game, which basically involves a very fast-moving game where you use sticks called hurlies, which are uh, hit, hit a ball that's pretty small and goes pretty damn fast from one end of the pitch to the other. So how do, how does a man like you, how does a man like you get to play hurley in a place like San Diego? It was kind of an arm-twisting exercise. So Gaelic football is obviously the, the sister game that we have in Ireland. That was a well-established game. There was a, I was involved with the pub league here, and one of the guys that was playing it asked me would I come along and play hurling. Now, I come from a part of Ireland, Leitrim, where we, we don't have much of a history of uh, hurling, but we have a growing history in it. I know we won something a couple of years ago. And, uh, but when I was a kid, I was handed a hurling stick by a cousin of mine, and I never left that thing down for a couple of years. So I learned and taught myself the basic art of hurling. It's a very unique style, and very much I'm just saying that. It's a team game, but I'm a real individual contributor. I, I, I started playing it about eight years ago, and it's great. You know, in, um... And uh, one thing I'd like to ask our, our guest, Russell, is to nominate a piece of music they like, why they like it, and we'll play out on that piece of music. So I was, I've been thinking about this for a while, Pat. Uh, I told you before I was trying to learn some German to understand my colleagues in Hamburg a lot better. So one of the ways to learn a language is pick a piece of music. I came across a guy called Udo Jürgens. Udo Jürgens is Austrian, actually. And uh, unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. But he um, he was a fantastic sort of uh, little bit old style music, let's say. And uh, I was going to pick one of his songs. He has a famous song called Ich war nach Niemals in New York. I have never been to New York. Now, I actually have been to New York, but that's the song that I was thinking, thinking about. I have a friend in London, if I could dedicate this song to her son. Um, she had twins a couple of years ago, and unfortunately her twin boy, a boy and a girl, and the twin boy has, um, has a thing called DIPG, which is a, a, bra- a brain tumor. And she's looking to raise a whole bunch of funds around this, and she's doing a fantastic job. And, He's a he's a real he's become a little hero of mine. His name is Jago, and I wanted to dedicate this song to uh, to Jago. Okay, no, that's brilliant, Russell. And thanks again for your time and um, a really interesting explanation of the IoT business. 
and we'll play it on your no choice. Problem, Thank you. Delighted to talk to you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Zigaretten holen gehen. Sie rief ihm nach, nimm dir die Schlüssel mit. Ich werde inzwischen nach der Kleinen sehen. Er zog die Tür zu, ging stumm hinaus ins neonhelle Treppenhaus. Es roch nach Bohnenwachs und Spießigkeit. Und auf der Treppe dachte er, wie wenn das jetzt ein Aufbruch wäre, man müsste einfach gehen für alle Zeit, für alle Zeit. Ich war noch niemals in New York, ich war noch niemals auf Hawaii, ging nie durch San Francisco in zerrissenen Jeans. Ich war noch niemals in New York, ich war noch niemals richtig frei. Einmal verrückt sein und aus allen Zwängen fliehen. Und als er draußen auf der Straße stand, da fiel ihm ein, dass er fast alles bei sich trug. Den Pass, die Euro-Schecks und etwas Geld. Vielleicht ging heute Abend noch ein Flug. Er könnt ein Taxi nehmen, dort am Eck. Oder Auto stoppen und einfach weg. Die Sehnsucht in ihm wurde wieder wach. Noch einmal voll von Träumen sein. Sich aus der Enge hier befreien. Er dachte über seinen Aufbruch nach, seinen Aufbruch nach. Ich war noch niemals in New York, ich war noch niemals auf Hawaii, ging nie durch San Francisco in zerrissenen Jeans. Ich war noch niemals in New York, ich war noch niemals richtig frei. Einmal verrückt sein, ein einziges Mal bloß verrückt sein, Mensch. Und aus allen Zwängen fliehen.